And uh, hey, Leo. Hi. So several good things going on. Uh, there was a good uh, men's breakfast yesterday. I haven't been for a couple of years, probably, but I went yesterday and took our two grandchildren. So that was yeah, that was fun. That was kind of neat. <laughs> they added some life to it, didn't they? Yeah, he was listening. And you don't think he's listening, but he is. Yeah, he's he pretty squirmy, but <laughs> so uh, any other announcements or anything anybody want to share this morning? Anything? Good guys doing in your life that you want to maybe share with others? I know Pam, you started discipling a new person this week. Well, two. I started one two weeks ago and then yeah. one wow. two. So this is my third week on Wow. <laughs> You're a busy girl. It's I think Sarah's excited. Yeah. She she texted me about it, so that was neat. <laughs> And uh, as I get closer to retirement, I, I hear how busy Pam is and Linda is. And uh, yesterday, uh, Butch Butch Page gave a testimony, and he's a busy guy. It's like, man, you think That's uh, how you retire <laughs> from, you know? So you'll have time to yeah, do ministry things. Service from there to yeah. You just change music. You stay as busy as ever, don't yeah. you? That's uh, yeah, you so it's exciting, and uh, so you gotta think about it, Emmett. He's <laughs> a farmer, you know, they're all standing in their field. Yeah, yeah, you just go out to pasture. <laughs> my dad, my dad, you may know, he's 85, he just retired at Christmas. And he's he he's told me more than once. I probably should have stayed trucking another year. I'm like, Dad, you're 85, almost 86. Yeah, it's like, come on. <clears throat> so, uh, all right. Well, uh, before we look at Jeremiah, I thought we would look at uh, there's something I want us to see in Second Kings 25. 2 Kings 25 really uh, highlights some of what we're reading in Jeremiah. So let's all, let's all go to 2 Kings 25. I wanted us to see a little bit of a timeline. <clears throat> so uh, anyway, we're glad you're here and uh, glad you're joining us online. And... Uh, you know, I, I read chapter 42 this week. I thought, well, maybe I could do two chapters in one week. And and then I saw something in this chapter that was uh, special to me. And so I feel like we can uh, <clears throat> continue to do one chapter a week. It's a pretty good pace. And uh, if you remember right, I said we should probably get done by May. And uh, I've asked Jim to teach kind of a... Uh, manuscript evidence class and where we got our Bible and so so this summer we're hoping to do uh, I don't know six or eight weeks Jim you think on manuscript evidence or whatever you actually I've been studying Proverbs for a couple of years yeah with Mike going through that okay I love yes. that book. some Proverbs yeah, Proverbs instructions for life yeah <clears throat> Well, maybe do four weeks of manuscript evidence or... A couple weeks of that. It's pretty dry. If it gets okay. Fun. But it's whatever. Okay. Uh, I'll <clears throat> I love Proverbs, too. I, I love Proverbs. <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so, uh, let's look at Pro- uh, Proverbs. Let's look at Second Kings 25. And I'm going to read this. And there's a couple of things I want to point out. We won't read the whole chapter, but let's do start in verse 1 of 2 Kings 25. And it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, in the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came, he and all his hosts, against Jerusalem and pitched against it. And they built forts against it round about. And the city was besieged 
unto the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. We know he was the last king that uh, Judah had. And on the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine prevailed in the city, and there was no bread for the people of the land. So this is the eleventh year of Zedekiah, and it was the ninth day of the fourth month. So uh, this is what I wanted to see, just this, uh, this fourth month. And so th- this is this is the month that uh, Jerusalem is taken, and it says here, verse four, and the city was broken up, and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between two walls, which is by the king's garden. Now the Chaldeans were against the city round about, and the king went the way toward the plain and we remember uh, Zedekiah fled towards Jericho verse 5 and the army of the Chaldees pursued after the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho and all his army were scattered from him so they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon to Riblah and they gave judgment upon him and they slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him with fetters of brass and carried him to Babylon. So he he was taken to Babylon. His children were slay, uh, killed before him. And so that's what uh, Ezekiel prophesied that Zedekiah would go to Babylon, but he would not see it. And this is uh, how that can be so is he was blinded. Uh, very, very brutal. And of course, the last thing he saw was his children being killed. And uh, <clears throat> I'm sure he wishes he would have heeded the word of Jeremiah and uh, surrendered earlier. But <clears throat> and then I want us to see in verse eight, in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month. So all that took nearly a month to do what uh, they did. Uh, so in the fifth month, I didn't make a very good five there, did I? It looks like a J or something. So fifth month, and this is where we're going to see. Uh, let's see. I think it's it's Gedaliah. We're going to see just something about him here. So, in verse 8, And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which is the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of, or captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem. And he uh, burnt the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem, and every great man's house burnt he with fire. And all the army of the Chaldees that were with the captain of the guard break down the walls of Jerusalem round about. Now the rest of the people that were left in the city and the fugitives that fell away to the king of Babylon with the remnant of the multitude did Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carry away. But the captain of the guard left of the poor of the land to be the to be vine dressers and husbandmen, and the pillars of brass that were in the house of the Lord, and the bases, and the brazen sea that was in the house of the Lord, did the Chaldees break in pieces, and carried the brass of them to Babylon. <clears throat> and the poor, or no, and the pots, and the shovels, and the snuffers, and the spoons, and all the vessels of brass wherewith they ministered took they away. And the firepans, and the bowls, and all such things as were of gold, in gold, and of silver, in silver, the captain of the guard took away the two pillars one sea and the bases which Solomon had made for the house of the Lord the brass of all the vessels was without weight <clears throat> and uh, let me jump down now to uh, well 
Some of this is pretty important. Uh, verse 17. The height of the one pillar was 18 cubits, and the chapter upon it was brass, and the height of the chapter three cubits, and the wreathen work, and the pomegranates upon the chapter round about all of brass, and likened to these had the second pillar with wreathen work. And the captain of the guard took Sarai, the chief priest, and Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three keepers of the door. And out of the city he took an officer that was set over the men of war. And five men of them were in the king's presence, which were found in the city, and the principal scribe of the host, which mustered the people of the land and three score men of the people of the land that were found in the city and Nebuzaradan captain of the guard took these and brought them to the king of Babylon in Riblah and the king of Babylon smote them and slew them at Riblah in the land of Hamath so Judah was carried away out of their land and as for the people that remained in the land Judah whom the land of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had left. Even over them he made Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, ruler. <clears throat> and so now, now it really comes into the story where we're at today in our study of Jeremiah 41. And look at verse 23 now. And when all the captains of the armies, they and their men, heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah governor, there came to Gedaliah to Mizpah, even Ishmael, the son of Nephaniah, and Johanan, the son of Kerai, and Sarai, the son of Tanhumath, the Nephilimite, and... Uh, Jazraniah, the son of Makathite, they and their men. <clears throat> and Gedaliah sware to them and to their men, and said unto them, Fear not to be the servants <clears throat> of the Chaldees, dwell in the land, and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. So he tells them not to fear the servants of the Chaldees. But then look at verse 23, or 25. But it came to pass in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nehemiah, and then it says the son of Elishama of the, of the seed royal came and ten men with him and smote Gedaliah that he died and the Jews and the Chaldees that were with him at Mesphah. So in the seventh month, he dies. So he really only reigned like two months. And that was uh, at the hand of <clears throat> and uh, he, he was the son of there, there's one thing I want us to see here before we leave. N-E-T-H And who was his dad? It was start with E. E L I S H A M A. Yeah. Nathaniah. That's an M. N instead of M. Nathaniah. All right. So I want us to see that. So now let's go to... Anyway, it was a pretty short reign, wasn't it? And there's a little bit of a backstory here that... uh, So hopefully hopefully that wasn't uh, too boring. Hopefully we uh, catch the story. But let's all go to Jeremiah 41 now. And uh, we read the first three verses last week. But uh, let's read these first three verses again. And uh, Jeremiah 41, and I'll read those. Uh, Now it came to pass in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishamah, 
of the seed royal and the princes of the king, even ten men with him, came unto Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, to Mizpah. And there they did eat bread together in Mizpah. Then arose Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and the ten men that were with him, and smote Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, with the sword, and slew him whom the king of Babylon had made governor over the land. Ishmael also slew all the Jews that were with him, even with Gedaliah at Mesphah, and the Chaldeans that were that were found there, and the men of war. And so that's what happens in these first three, um, first two or three months, in these first three verses. <clears throat> and the, uh, this is the this is the word that goes in your first blank. And I want us to go back to Jeremiah thirty six. And if you remember, Jeremiah 36 was a key chapter because... Uh, sorry, Jim, I didn't get you a handout, did I? Did somebody say something? I'm mumbling. I'm mumbling. Talk to myself. Um, <laughs> Jeremiah 36, do you remember uh, where... Uh, Jeremiah got a word from the Lord and he told it to Baruch and Baruch wrote it and uh, you remember he read it in the court and the people heard it and then the princes heard it and then they brought this they brought Baruch to read it uh, before the king and uh, Jehudi Jehudi they cut it up with a pen knife and the king threw it in the fire so they destroyed like the word of God uh, this original copy but I want you to see in verses 20 and 21 and uh, Emma do you have that uh, 20 and 21 of Jeremiah 36 yeah and they went into the king to the court, but they laid up the roll of the chamber of the Lishma, the sky, and he told all the words in the words of the king. So the king sent Jehudi to fetch the roll, and he took it out of the Lishma, the scribe's chamber. And Jehudi read it in the ears of the king. And the ears of all the princes which stood beside the king. Now, if everybody could track with me, that's this guy. That 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 role, that that copy of God's word was in this scribe's chamber, and they they took it out, and that's when it got burned and destroyed. But. Uh, so this guy's kind of consenting to that. He he's hiding the word of God, and he's he's helping to destroy it here. And uh, in chapter forty-one, so this was probably twenty years or so before Jeremiah forty-one. So so by now, this guy's got a grandson named Ishmael. And uh, I guess I guess what I'm trying to communicate with this that I feel like God was showing me is this guy had some kind of hatred for God's word, and he reproduced it in this boy. And by the time it got to his grandson, this guy became a murderer. He like hates God's people. He's trying to destroy God's word and take him to the enemies, the Ammonites, and uh, so. Uh, my, my teaching point, if you want to jump down to my teaching point on my handout, uh, we know that little sins lead to big sins. So I put, so also the sins of one generation become magnified in the next generation if left unchecked and undealt with. And uh, below that I put, you know, my point in case is Ishmael didn't become a mass murderer overnight. His father... Nethaniah, he fostered hatred. The word hatred goes in your blank, uh, that blank. 
I know I'm jumping around a little bit. It says a royal seed, so that means they were related to David somehow. Yes. Uh, uh, well, Jehoiakim was in the lineage. Yeah. He might have just been royal because he was a scribe, but but maybe. It does say he was of the royal seed, so he was a, a prominent man in the land. And Anyway, I, I mean, I, I think of our own country and you know we have people in high places that are you know not following the Lord and and uh, so th- this is kind of a little um, uh, I don't know just it's almost like a little soap opera and some wickedness going on uh, you know we, we talk about conspiracy but uh, anyway the, the devil had his man in there and uh, over time, hey Belinda, over time uh, it manifests itself. And uh, th- that's one thing, you know, even with recovery, I, when we first started our recovery group, I hadn't, I hadn't heard the, the word generational, but, you know, Brian Hedges helped put that into some of our literature that we want to, you know, break the cycle of sin before it does become generational. But he, here, that, that is what happens. This guy's sin became generational. And, uh, and, and I've got a verse there. If you, if you guys want to look at Exodus 34, if you want to hold your place here, hold your place in Jeremiah 41 and go back to Exodus 34. So, so like, I, like I say, when I was first reading this, I thought, well, there's not a lot of here in chapter 41. And and uh, I was just praying for the Lord to show me something. And he showed me that, you know, this, this guy, Elishama, must have been a, a pretty wicked man. But uh, in Exodus 34, 7, 34, 7, the Bible says that uh, God, uh, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. Then he says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. And uh, I don't totally understand that because uh, the Bible does say that uh, no, no person shall be put to death for his father's sin. You know, each person is accountable for their own. But I, I believe that verse is teaching us something similar to what we're seeing here. That uh, this Elishama's iniquity is kind of visited upon the next generation to three generations here, and uh, so that that's a verse that people talk about when they talk about generational sin. So, I don't know if anybody has any thoughts or quotes about that, but I, I want to go back to Jeremiah 41 now. That's the chapter we're uh, in. Uh, Belinda, did you get a handout? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> so, in the, so now uh, somebody read verses 4 through 7 back in Jeremiah 41. Uh, Pam Anderson, you want to read those? And it came to pass the second day after he had slain Gedadah the liar, and no man knew it. And there came certain from Shechem, from Shiloh, and from Samaria, even fourscore men having their beard shaven and their clothes rent, and having cut themselves with offerings in their hand to bring them to the house of the Lord. And Ishmael, the son of Them and cast them into the midst of the pit. And 
No, hey, hold up there. Um, so, so what I think's going on here that uh, there's like 80 men come from around Shiloh, and the orange dot here is Jerusalem. So, uh, I think that they heard that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the city and burned it with fire, and they're they're mourning. They they've shaved their heads. They've got some uh, sackcloth and ashes. They're they're in mourning, and so uh, I think Misfa was just a little bit north. I don't see Misfa on here, but anyway, they went out to meet these eighty guys. This Ishmael. And uh, what what Pam read is that they slew them and cast them in the midst. So they just put them in this pit. And so he not only kills uh, Gedaliah, so Ishmael kills Gedaliah and some of the men and some of the Chaldeans that were there. Now he kills uh, these other 80 guys and and throws them in a pit. And then uh, in verse 8... Uh, maybe Pam Jackson do you want to read verse 8 for us <clears throat> but ten men were found among them that said unto Ishmael slay us not for we have treasures in the field of wheat and of barley and of oil and of honey so he forbear and they slew them not among their brethren and, and what I had you put here in this blank was just the word field and we're going to come back to this 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 thing about treasures in the field, I, w- I want to make an application to us. But uh, let, let me give you what I. This is interesting. What I heard here, or what I read. Uh, see, I, I just took a picture of it so I could read it to you. <clears throat> when we think about, I mean, we all probably have a thought about a treasure in a field. I mean, we can look out the window and see a field right now. But uh, I don't know how accurate this is, but it seems right. It says it was a very ancient custom in many parts of the East to store grain in large pits or cisterns dug out of the ground for this purpose. In Syria, these were sealed at the top with plaster and covered with a deep bed of dirt to keep out vermin, keep the varmints out. They were cool and tight and dry. Among the moors, the custom was to have a thick layer of straw on the bottom and a lining of straw on the sides. They covered the mouth with a stone and sometimes built a small pyramid of earth to shed the rain. Some coverings were made so skillfully with sod that none but the informed could tell where the pit was. One writer speaks of two to three hundred pits together in a place, the least one holding four hundred bushels. Among some people it is said that the practice was to make a pit at the birth of each child and open it only when he become an adult or was married. Such storage spaces places are no doubt what is referred to here as treasures in the field. And so I hadn't I hadn't thought of that uh, like that uh, as having you know the treasure actually in the field. I guess I picture just treasure being you know a rich crop or you know good a good crop of grapes or corn. But anyway, there uh, it does say it's so, so. Anyway, these ten men were spared. Uh, their lives because they said hey you know Ishmael we've got some treasure in the field we can tell you where it's at it's kind of hidden so so he he did not kill them and then uh, verse 9 uh, Pat would you read that one now the pit wherein Ishmael cast all the dead bodies of men whom he had slain because of Gedaliah was it which Asaw the king had made for fear of Baasha king of Israel. And Ishmael the son of Nethaniah filled it with them that was yeah, so I guess that that was a thing. I don't know exactly why this Asha or Asa 
dug this pit, but it was some form of protection against this this king of Basha that he was afraid of. So I gave you some references there where the Bible tells the story of those two kings, and uh, I don't think we necessarily need to go there. But anyway, that, that's pretty wild that he... He was. That's why I said he's a mass murderer. This, uh, I mean, it's, it's it's a little bit like war, but he's mm-hmm. he's definitely a murderer. Yeah, but he's hiding the bodies. Why is he hiding it, the bodies? I don't know if it's just to bury him or. Yeah, maybe just. Doesn't, doesn't that seem kind of odd? <laughs> I, I've read in the Old Testament some, and this is unusual. Really. They just usually leave him lay. Cover him up. Well, yeah, I don't know if he's hiding it or. It worked with uh, the guys that came in to mourn uh, the death, and they didn't know that Elijah was dead. Yeah. So he said, "Yeah, we're really sad. Come on in." Yeah. So, so it could have been to keep him out of sight. Yeah, and sense. other others coming in, he was able to. Yep. Um, Not reveal them to come in. And yep. So, so well now look, look at verse ten and uh, yeah. Belinda, do you want to read that verse ten for us? Then Ishmael carried away captive all the residue of the people that were in this even the king's daughters, and all the people that remained in this from Nebuchadnezzar, the captains and guardians committed to Gilead the son of Achaia and Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, carried them away captive and departed to go over to the Ammonites. Right, so these uh, and this came up in the last chapter that Ishmael had made some kind of league or covenant with the Ammonites. So I don't know exactly and maybe it's here, and I just haven't seen it. Uh, why, how Ishmael was connected with the Ammonites? But uh, I did a little, a little, uh, a little bit of study there for you on your handout. But I wanted to show you at least on the map. Uh, I don't know if you can read that, but the word Ammon is right here, and. Uh, so that's where these people settled. One reference I had called it Transjordan. And so the Jordan River goes pretty much from the Sea of Galilee all the way to the Dead Sea. And so on the other side of the Jordan River is the country of Jordan, modern-day Jordan. And the Ammonites uh, were inhabitants of part of that. But... Uh, on your handout, it kind of got a little bit of history there of the Ammonites in the Bible. Uh, the Bible says that they were descendants of a guy named Ammon, and he was Lot's son through one of his daughters. Do you remember he had uh, some uh, incestual relationship with two of his daughters? And I, I think one daughter, her, her that descendant was Moab. And uh, so, so Moab is down here. The Moabites and the Ammonites. These are the two children of Lot through his two daughters. So they were his children and kind of his grandchildren. It's kind of a wicked deal. And then I put uh, Israel commanded uh, to disallow the Ammonites and Moabites from entering into the congregation for ten generations. It says in Deuteronomy twenty-three. Uh, Moab enlisted the Ammonites' assistance in taking Jericho from Israel in in the book of Judges, chapter 3. There was an Ammonite king, uh, Nahash, who attacked Jabesh-Gilead. So these were kind of the enemies of God's people. And the next bullet point, Ammonite armies allied with other Israeli enemies to kill King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20. And then I thought this was interesting that one of King Solomon's wives or or his concubine was Namath and she was an Ammonitess and they had a son named Rehoboam. And so we're probably familiar with that name. Rehoboam. See if I can get it right here. No, R-E-H. 
And so this was, uh, that goes in your blank toward the bottom of that. And so uh, Rehoboam, if you remember right, he, he was the king after Solomon, and the kingdom was divided. The ten tribes went with uh, Jeroboam, and the, the southern two tribes went with Rehoboam. But his mother was an Ammonite. And then uh, your last bullet point there, uh, history or archaeologists suggest evidence that the Ammonite civilization continued from about 1200 B.C. through 600 B.C., which is about the time. In fact, uh, hold your place here and look with me at Ezekiel. Turn over one book two books to the right go to Ezekiel 25 I I meant to put I should have put this on your handout I know I'm having you turn a little bit but uh, yeah go to Ezekiel 25 I believe it is and it's the first few verses here you might want to write this on your handout um I looked this up this morning. Let me look real quick here. And go down to about verse 10. 25, 10. Wait a minute. Okay, I was looking at 24, okay. Let's just start in verse 1, 25-1 of Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against the Ammonites. And what we're going to see here, he's going to prophesy against them, and basically this is going to be the end of the Ammonites. Verse 3, And say unto the Ammonites, Hear the word of the Lord God. Thus saith the Lord God, Because thou sayest, Aha, against my sanctuary when it was profaned, and against the land of Israel when it was desolate, and against the house of Judah when they were went into captivity, behold, therefore I will deliver thee, to the men of the east for possession and they shall set their palaces in thee and make their dwellings in thee and they shall eat thy fruit and they shall drink thy milk and I will make uh, Rabbah a stable for camels and the Ammonites a couching place for flocks and ye shall know that I am the Lord for thus saith the Lord God because thou hast clapped their hands and stamped with their feet and rejoiced in their heart with all thy despise against the land of Israel behold therefore I will stretch out mine hand upon thee and will deliver thee for a spoil to the heathen and I will cut thee off from the people and I will cause thee to perish out of the countries I will destroy thee and thou shalt know that I am the Lord and it's in verse 10 unto the men of the east and with the Ammonites and will give them in possession that the Ammonites may not be remembered among the nations so I, I believe that's connected with Ishmael here and uh, that's that's pretty harsh uh, but they, they were the enemies all the way back from the time of Lot but now God judges them and so uh, they, they kind of quit being a people after this prophecy in Ezekiel so very interesting so I'm going to put that I need to add that to my handout if I ever teach this again <clears throat> so anyway any other thoughts about these first 10 verses I know we've talked quite a, quite a lot about them we're going to see uh, this guy Johanan kind of becomes the leader and uh, so let, let's all go back to Jeremiah 41 now so Ishmael just took a bunch of these poor people the residue so he took several people captive 
and he took them with him over to the land of the Ammonites and so now if somebody can read 11 and 12 uh, Jim we're kind of up to you can you uh, read 11 and 12 11 and 12 uh, yeah <clears throat> but when John, Jonan the son of Korea and all the captains of the forces that were with him heard of all the evil that Ishmael the son of Nethaniah had done then they took all the men and went to fight Ishmael the son of Nethaniah and they found him by the great waters that are in Gibeon alright so this Johanna, he kind of becomes the leader. He he gathers up some men and he he goes out to fight against Ishmael. And uh, Angie, would you read verse thirteen? Now it came to pass that when all the people which were with Ishmael saw Johanan the son of Korea and all the captains of captains of the forces that were with him, then they were glad. So I just had you put glad in your blank. You know, if you were a captive and you were being carried away to the Ammonites, you'd be glad if somebody came to rescue you. And so I just I thought that was just kind of a cool word that the Lord put in our Bibles that they were refreshed. They were like, "This is this is nice. We've already got left here by the Babylonians. We're already poor, and now we're getting carried captive." And so they were they were glad and. The word Johanan means uh, Jehovah has graced. And so they, they got some grace there. <clears throat> and uh, so now turn on the second page of your handout. And uh, Emma, we're back to you if you'd read 14 and 15 for us. So all the people that Ishmael had carried away captive from Mizpah cast about and returned and went into Johanna the son of Korea. But Ishmael the son of Nathaniah escaped from Johanna with 80 men and went to the Amorites. Alright, so... So he he escaped. That that's why I had you put. He escaped with eight of his men. Uh, Ishmael did escape, uh, but the good news, of course, is that that these other poor people of the land, this remnant, they were recovered. And that's what it says in verse sixteen. Uh, Pam Anderson, would you read verse sixteen? Then took Johanan the son of Korea and all the captains of the forces that were with him, all the remnant of the people whom he had recovered from Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah from Mishpah, <coughs> after that he had the son of Ahiakim, even mighty men of war, and the women and the children and the eunuchs, whom he had brought again from Gibeon. Yeah, so this, this was the group that was left in the land. There was some mighty men of war that uh, had came with Johanan. And so Ishmael had taken all these captive and taken them over to the Ammonites. And so even though Ishmael escaped, this uh, remnant was saved and uh, and, they, and they were recovered. So that's uh, it kind of reminds you of when David went and recovered people that uh, had been taken from him and his men so uh, anyway verses 17 and 18 now uh, Pam Jackson let's finish this chapter here and they departed and dwelt in the habitation of uh, Chimham which is by Bethlehem to go to enter into Egypt because of the Chaldeans for they were afraid of them because Ishmael the son of Nathaniah had slain Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, whom the king of Babylon made governor in the land. And uh, it, it introduces a word there. Uh, it says that they were af- afraid of the Chaldeans in verse 18 that Pam read. But uh, in, at the end of verse 17, it says that they went to this. Chimham that's by Bethlehem 
and it says uh, to go to enter into Egypt. So they're they're kind of planning to go to Egypt, and that kind of sets up next week. And I don't want to talk a lot about that today, but. Uh, Jeremiah comes on the stage again in Jeremiah 42 and and he tells him you know you should not go to Egypt and we're going to see that Egypt is a type of the world and uh, God delivered them out of the world or out of bondage and they, they were never to go back and yet that's kind of what they're planning to do and it says the reason they were is because they were afraid of the Chaldeans but look at chapter 42 in verse 11 this is one of the things 42.11 Jeremiah speaking here he says be not afraid of the king of Babylon of whom ye are afraid be not afraid of him saith the Lord I am with you to save you and to deliver you out of his hand so uh, we talked about this at the men's breakfast yesterday this thing about fear and uh, I had you put the word afraid in the blank there. I think that's the last blank you have. The, this recovered remnant, they dwell, they dwell by Bethlehem and plan to go to Egypt because they were afraid of the Chaldeans. And uh, they, they fear because the loss of... Uh, it says that they were afraid... I think they were afraid that, you know, once Nebuchadnezzar heard... Ishmael killed Gedaliah, who king of Babylon appointed to be our governor. Now he's going to be mad at us and take it out on us. So they're like, we're just going to go down to Egypt. And so um, so this topic of fear came up yesterday. It was kind of the, Butch's main, yeah. main point yesterday. And... Uh, I don't have. I do have one verse there, but before we go to the Matthew, let's all look at Psalm 56. This is where Butch took us yesterday, and I know this is a verse that meant a lot to him. And uh, I think it's verses two and three of Psalm 56. We've got about 15 minutes here today. <clears throat> Is that, uh, yeah, 56, and uh, Pat, would you read verses 3 and 4? Yeah. He says, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. And that that's pretty powerful because I mean it. All of us are sitting here safely today, and hopefully we're we're well fed, and we're not too sleepy, and our needs are met. And maybe we're not afraid right now, but you know tonight it's going to be dark. We're, we may not be with other brothers and sisters, and so you know there there's conditions that make us fearful we listen to things on the news we hear things going on uh, in the world and and it's easy to become fearful and uh, you know just uh, the increase in gasoline prices and those i think angie said that there's a place in california that gas is 750 some right now and uh yeah and so those are things that kind of make me ah oh, you know things are getting tighter and it's it's difficult and Russia invading Ukraine yeah the Russia invasion potentially of Ukraine and and uh, you know the the troubles in the world are so so great and you know I, I have at least one person call me every week that needs something and sometimes I'm able to help and sometimes I'm not and but it, uh, you know, just the crisis of, of uh, you know, the, the drama and crisis that either that's self-inflicted or inflicted by others. There's just a lot of tragedy. And uh, I, think, I think it was when I was going on my very first mission trip, I went to Costa Rica uh, near near Honduras, probably uh, Costa Rica 
and you know it, it's it's just the language barrier is a little bit fearful to me and the unknowns and uh, the traveling and you know am I going to like the food am I going to be able to find you know anyway uh, but there's an old he was a black gentleman he's a jan- he was a janitor at our facility and and he, he taught me this little acronym of fear is false evidence appearing real and I, I just thought that was a good it kind of stuck with me that Steve you shouldn't be afraid and I, I'm sure he showed me some scriptures like Pat just read that it says what time I am afraid I will trust in thee and that's just a sweet comfort that uh, God is with us he'll never leave us or forsake us and uh, and then let's all go to Matthew 10 because this is the verse that I I tried to say to close out the men's breakfast yesterday in Matthew 10 because as God's people as believers in Jesus Christ we don't need to fear Christ said lo I am with you always even unto the end of the world and in Matthew 10 there is something that we should fear Matthew 10 28 uh, Belinda would you read that and fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell and so I think that's just kind of I gave as an admonition yesterday that if you're not a believer uh, you, you should be you should be fearful I mean all of us before we're saved, we're, we're fearful of, of hell and damnation, and we we don't want to be lost for eternity, and so we don't need to necessarily fear them that will kill the body, because that will just send us to home quicker, but we can fear God, and there is a passage in the Old Testament where it's dreadful to fall into the hands of the living God. So we are to fear fear the Lord. There is there is a healthy fear, <clears throat> and so uh, anyway, with the time remaining, I thought we would just talk about a parable here in Matthew thirteen. We're, we're close by there, and you know some of these parables of the kingdom uh, can be a little bit confusing. So the way I try to teach them is to use kind of the historical, doctrinal, inspirational, but <clears throat> let's see, we're up to Jim. Would, would you read 1344 for us? 1344. Yeah. 1344. Yeah. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy goeth, therefore goeth, and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Right, and, uh, you know, as expensive as land is, uh, you know, land is valuable, but uh, this person, this kingdom of heaven parable, is like a treasure that's hid in the field, and uh, I, I gave you, I already read you kind of historically that they can store grain in the field and uh, even hide it there. And so historically, a treasure is hidden in a field. And when a certain man finds it, he keeps it hidden. And that man goes and sells everything he has to buy that field. <clears throat> and it would probably be so that if we if we found you know diamonds or gold or something like that even if we struck we saw that it looks like there's oil in this pasture right here we would kind of keep it on the down low and we'd like cash out everything and try to buy that land wouldn't we and so historically it is kind of the 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 parable there but uh, doctrinally, uh, look back at verse 38. <clears throat> In verse 38, he's explaining. I'm getting a little hoarse. Uh, Angie, why don't you read verse 38 for us? The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, so the tares are the children of the 
So now, now that adds for some perspective to it, doesn't it? Now the field is the world. It's like, whoa. Uh, does anybody think of John 3.16? For God so loved the world, he, he bought it. He gave his only begotten son. He, he, gave the ulti- he, he sold all that he had. He gave his best. So I wanted to add some some doctrine to that, <clears throat> and uh, I, I believe that if we wanted to get real detail, I, I think Israel is that treasure, and that that tra- Israel, you know, it's kind of a hidden treasure. It's it's right there in the Middle East. You think it's not too valuable of property or the, the land necessarily, but the people are there, and uh, the Lord buys that field, and he he. Uh, <clears throat> let's look at that Romans eight thirty two. I think that's where. Uh, if you want to hold your place here in Matthew, maybe <clears throat> Matthew, Mark, Luke. Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans 8.32. And here the Bible says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So God spared not his own son. He... He sold all that he had and he gave us Jesus to buy the field. <clears throat> and I kind of gave some inspirational here that there are godly treasures hidden in the field near me. I need to seek out the treasure and find it. Uh, <clears throat> uh I think it was two weeks ago on a Friday night. It's when that Alvaro gave a message, his testimony that uh, I brought up. I'm trying to think where the verse is. Where, where the Lord said He had much people in that city, and uh, you know there there are much. God has many people in this city that may not be in church this morning, and uh, so there's in a, in a sense. You know, uh, the Song of Solomon talks about a garden, and a garden is kind of a part of the field. And so I, I look at if the field is the world, you know, I need to be kind of a little gardener here. And we have this portion of the field called Harrisonville that God has many people there, and we can buy it with kind of our our ministry, our, our sweat equity, if you will. It's like. Help us to go through the highways and hedges and compel people to the marriage of the Lamb. So I think there's just a lot of uh, good good examples we can think of through that. My teaching point here is just that I need to count the cost and purchase a field containing hidden treasure. <clears throat> and so that's, that's kind of how I teach... Uh, and we could look at a couple of these verses, but does anybody have any more thoughts? I know, Pam, you're looking at me with your deep in thought. Uh, yeah, I was just thinking about the cost of hmm. purchasing the field. Mm-hmm. What, what, what do you... Th- well, and, uh, you know, if, if you look at the... Uh, the first parable there in Matthew 13, he gives, there's different types of soil. I mean, there's there's rocky soil, and we've all tried to sow on rocky soil, and it's just not fruitful. And so I, I'm even thinking lately, just, you know, Lord, bring us people that are hungry for truth. 
because you do get weary trying to plant seed in rocky soil and even for us there's thorns and the thorns kind of represent the cares of this life and they keep the ground from being unfruitful either because we get drawn away with the cares or maybe other people get you know drawn away and so we want that good soil that good heart and we need to you know we're we're always we're always planting good seed into the hearts and lives of people and we can't make it take root but uh you know we can keep watering it <clears throat> i think i told some of you that um i got the witness to he he's an american but he's an american chinese young guy i think he's only 28 He's a scientist at my job. He's got a master's degree. And I got to share my testimony with him a couple weeks ago. And so this week I told him, you know, you know, uh, Greg, why don't you, his name's Greg, why don't you come by my desk and let's just do a Bible study. I wasn't sure where to go from here. He, he heard my testimony and he said, yeah, I, I might do that. I'll try to come Friday. And so on Friday I was just hoping he would come. And he didn't, but at the end of the day, he sent me an email and said he had something come up. He couldn't make it, and, you know, let's try for next week. So it kind of gave me hope that he will come, and <clears throat> I need to think more. Uh, I mean, I thought I'd just take him to Genesis and maybe start. I don't know how much of the Bible he knows, but, you know, I'm just praying for some good soil, some good seed. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> What I was thinking, I finished my thought because I was in my thought, thinking about purchasing the field. Jesus purchased the field with his life, his blood. And so I'm thinking, you know, I need to give my life Mm -hmm. to to water, to plant seed, to this field that Jesus has he's already purchased. Mm -hmm. So our yeah. You know, for me, you know, I need to, he's purchased a field. I need to be a good steward of that and give my go. life to there you plant go. and water and um, yeah. Yeah. The, the field that he purchased, the world. Well, and it, it's really a rich, it's kind of pregnant with meaning, isn't it? You know, because it's a little ambiguous. How, how do you buy the field and... Uh, I gave one of the references, you know, he has that treasure in earthen vessels. So the the treasure's in us, and then there's a place where the Bible says to buy the truth and sell it not, and so... So we give it away. We give it away to others so that it can be invested in them. uh Because we think of this as like the field as external, and it all got inverted with Christ's death and what he did for us like you were saying and hmm. so we in, invest it in hmm. other people in the field oh, and you said give it away that's good freely we receive so, so we freely give and don't we lay up treasures in heaven because when we give that treasure uh-huh. away uh-huh. you know what he did for us then yep. he lays up treasure in heaven and we're, we're even more richer yeah more richer. That's that's bad language, but good communication. If we work too hard to purchase a field, I mean, if that's our thinking. If we work too hard to purchase a field, we do a, as caregivers. We do a lot of enabling because then we become, you know, we're like yeah. it's our field, and, and this is yeah, it's a little control, but we get when they don't do well we get uh, we try to do it for them we try yeah no that, that's good I was thinking of the the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31 Pam it says she considereth a field and buy it with the the labor the fruit of her hands or something like that so there is a sense that we buy it even though the field is the world and the Lord owns it he he bought it there's a portion of it that our time and our energy and yeah. trying to follow you know and, and try to see people that will receive it so it does take a lot right so there 
in that sense we do have a labor of love but anyway I know we're out of time these are good good thoughts we'll look at chapter 42 next week Lord willing thank you for being here thank you for being online Jim had to step out but we'll uh, we'll pray and we'll be dismissed and um, let's, let's pray uh, Lord we do thank you for this study and thank you for this example this treasure that's hid in the field and Lord help us to treasure what you treasure help us not to be uh, you know by the wayside or the stony ground or the thorns and thistles but Lord help us to be good seed help those uh, online hearing my voice right now pray Lord that uh, that they are good good soil as well that the word will sink down into our hearts and bring forth fruit uh, some 30 some 60 some 100 fold and so Lord uh, dismiss us now with your blessing thank you for uh, this faithfulness of Jeremiah to uh, preach your word and to uh, write it down so that we can read it some 2,500 years later and still be encouraged and challenged and uh, just uh, we're, we're still reaping what he has sown so Lord uh, dismiss us now and uh, bless the main service in Jesus name Amen and you know I did not record any of that yeah I did yeah I did